Internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I'll be discussing both the 1987 original and the 2018 remake of Overboard, the latest from Diablo Cody and Jason Reitman, Tully, and the Dean Devlin solo venture, Bad Samaritan. Let's get started. He has paid his debt. I have tortured him long enough. You're telling a ditch digger he's a billionaire. I'm pretty sure he's going to be okay with it. I like having your dad around. We want to keep him. You guys are good together. I love having a fake husband. Maybe next time I ask you to commit a crime, you won't fight me on it. Can I get you to haul the dirt on the other side of the house? No, I speak English. Sorry. I will talk to Bobby. See, Bobby. I love doing that. Now, to be fair, I never saw the uh, first one in its entirety before. This one was one of those movies that was always on the round, making the rounds on TV. Like, uh, my my sister remembers watching it on WGN. I remember seeing it on, like, USA and TNT at points. So, I mean, this has always kind of been in syndication for television, but I never, I never really, I only remembered bits and pieces of it. So I rewatched this original 1987 version in the lead up to the remake. And for the 87 version, it does not hold up well. Uh, I've heard it compare, I've heard it said that, that they're trying to do like a 40s era rom-com setup where it's like a lot of snark back and forth sort of, uh, tete-a-tete. Uh, between uh, Russell and Khan, and that—that's—that's that's what you. That is that is. They are the good part about the movie. What doesn't hold up is once again the whole idea of kidnapping and gaslighting. It really does not. It's a not a good premise, and and it also has this weird notion of nobility and poverty. The idea that somehow being poor makes you a better person. And I know plenty of poor people that are just as big assholes as people with money, you know? <laughs> just, p- poverty doesn't give you character, and wealth doesn't give you class. So, uh, this, th- I, uh, but at the same time, I didn't hate it. I just never wanted to watch it again. I had no reason, I had no intention to ever see this after this point, unless they try to do another remake of Overboard. Or like a belated sequel, God forbid. So I won't. I, I don't hate it. I don't. I I do think it's kind of. And it suffers a lot from slap. Because in that essence of a '40s era rom com, it's also like a very farcical. So there's a lot of really over the top slapstick, and that got really grating after a while. So the only reason to see Overboard is for Han and Russell. They are the only reason to actually see it. There's some good parts in it. There's some really funny parts in it. And it's it's got good moments, but the premise is really really bad in hindsight, and 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 the slapstick can be really grating and over the top. So the '87 one overall, it's you know bad premise in retrospect, but at least it's watchable. You know, as for the 2018 remake, there was no reason for this. Like I can understand if you had. A star couple like Han and Russell. Those two had dynamic on-screen chemistry. I can't think of a single couple in Hollywood right now that would have something along those lines. You know? You know how there's always 
like Fred and Ginger or like Han and Russell or like um uh like uh, who was another one uh, Bogart and um Humphrey Bogart and I think Audrey Hepburn am I thinking am I remember that correctly and there was Humphrey Bogart and somebody else but there were always these for the longest time Hollywood would have these pairings that no matter what they were in they worked great off of each other I think Hollywood is so decentralized so broken down from that concept that there, there's no way to really bring that back. Like, there's, I can't think of a single on-screen pairing that I've seen more than once that actually works, you know? And that's why, no matter how many times they keep trying to pair off these people in a movie, sometimes it just isn't going to work. Even though Ferris and uh, their bands are apparently dating after this, so the, the, good for them, but you don't really see much of that on-screen chem- chemistry on the screen, sadly. Uh, it does try to fix some of the more problematic aspects from the original. They take away the fact that uh, the rich person is married. They they try to downplay. They tr- and then instead of making it about like oh this 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 uh, rich asshole is neglecting his wife, it's more about here's this uh, pl- a billionaire playboy not neglecting his responsibilities and his family. Uh, and there's like these sort of machinations in their family to, on who's going to run the business with their ailing father. Uh, so, I mean, it kind of ties into the fact that they've switched and they've made it so that the billionaire is me- is Mexican? Yeah, Mexican. And uh, the, and, the, and part of that is has them playing up, like, like uh, the pizza, pizza shop where Anna Ferris works has uh, Hispanic staff that watches telenovelas, and so it kind of plays into that aspect on his end. Uh, at the same point, you know, I will say adding Hispanic characters. In fact, most of this cast is Hispanic. You've got Derbez. You've got Ava Longoria as the friend. Let me see who else. There's a whole, there's like a whole crew. Uh, Longoria's husband in the movie is is also Hispanic. And he has a mostly Hispanic uh, uh, staff uh, staff of laborers that he that they they kind of do construction. Uh, let me see. And then of course you've got all of uh, Derbez's family uh, in the movies played by uh, uh, let's see John Hanna. No, that's uh that's the butler. That's the guy who plays the um who's who takes over from uh, Roddy McDowell from the first movie. Um, We've got Mel Rodriguez as um, Longoria's husband, who is from The Watch, Little Miss Sunshine, Three Burials. Uh, He's on The Last Man. He's Todd Rodriguez on The Last Man on Earth right now. Uh, We've got... Oh, Gary Chalk is in here as a doctor. And my internet's slowing down. Mariana Trevino is a uh, one is is uh, one of uh, Leonardo's sisters. Let me see. Ba-ba-ba. Cynthia Mendez is the other sister. Uh, ba- Let me see. Where's the dad? Who plays the dad?
Uh, Omar Chaparro is is one of the workers. Um, Jesus Ochoa is another one. Uh, Fernando Lu, Luhan, Luyan. I don't know how you pronounce uh, Spanish J in the middle of that. I'm assuming Luyan. Or maybe it's Luhan. Uh, either way, um, he is. Uh, why does it need to be translated? Uh, it seems to be a, ma- a mainstream, very prominent Mexican actor, Nora's Will. Tercera Lamada in the country where nothing happens. Uh, Prodigal Daughter, Ungovernable, God Incorporated. So, I mean, uh, Derbez is really uh, broadening out the uh, racial aspect of the cast, which is an interest, which is a good, a good notion. I'm, I'm behind that. And, and you know, it's whereas the first movie had this thing about Portuguese uh, in Oregon. Which I have no idea where that came from, but like there's a Portuguese, there's a random Portuguese uh, captain, and then they mentioned Portuguese myths. Doesn't make any sense, but you know, having a bit more of a Hispanic of a Hispanic uh, presence in the movie isn't a bad idea, and so I commend them for that. But it's just by they at, while they did try to pull back on a lot of the more problematic aspects of the premise from the first movie they didn't um compensate for a lot of that movie's humor see a lot of the problems with overboard is those jokes don't hold up and instead of updating the jokes making something more uh more representative of 2018 we got a by the numbers remake. Sadly, you know it's the don't, the leads don't really have that sort of on screen chemistry uh, like Rahan and Russell did. They those two were so dynamic as a as an on screen couple. Whereas here, like Avon Gore says, you two work so well together. Really? How can you tell? There's like they could these two these could be any two pairings of actors and it would be about the same amount of chemistry. Honestly. Like, the only way to get negative chemistry is to have a, have a Dakota Johnson, Jamie Dornan situation where they just absolutely despise each other and have no on-screen chemistry. And have, like, negative on-screen chemistry, you know? And, yeah, I mean, like, little thing, the little touches are nice, but they, but it's like, think of it this way. The uh, first movie is this body on, you know, just like... Like, really ugly-looking statue. But at the same time, it has this character to it. Because you don't really... Because it's like... It, it, it at least goes for it. Like, it's, I'm picturing something like real avant-garde. Angle, like, a bunch of angles coming jutting out of each other sort of thing. Now, imagine you took that statue. You sanded down all of the edges into curves until it was like one generic looking statue and then you just also put in like then you also painted it painted it pretty colors it's not as dynamic it's not as it's not as out there or remember memorable as that original statue is you know even though it's like smoothed out and 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 it's trying something you can tell that the first statue had way more going for it, you know? The, that's the, the first statue had way more put into it and wanted to try 
this thing, whereas the fir- the second statue that's obviously that's obviously based on it did not want to go. Did not want to try anything that new or unique or different. So, like in the first movie, things progressed in a way that made sense. In the in the in the remake, it almost forcefully follows that formula. So, like the whole bit of everybody, like. Instead of um, finding panties in the truck, uh, Derbez finds uh, a roll of condoms. And then Ava Longoria has to um, lie, for, lie for Anna Ferris so that, so, that, uh, so that Derbez doesn't know the truth. And the kids, are, the kids are in it. But that's another thing. The kids in the first movie had their own unique characters. A lot of them were kind of obnoxious, but that was the point, that they were hard-to-handle little boys. And here they switch it to girls. They cut from like four kids to three. And then none of them had any personality. Like one was into the Seahawks. One was a 13-year-old girl who's kind of moody. And the other was like just generic little kid. Like the most she does is learn how to ride a bike. That's about it. So they're really, these kids, like I remember specifically the kids from the first movie. There was the oldest one who was a horny little, who was a little horn dog. There was the nerdy MacGyver one who would always build stuff. There was the one who couldn't read and and started picking up. And I think he was the one who talked like Pee-wee Herman. And then there was the littlest one who was just a precocious little, you know, brat. So, I mean, these kids had their own interesting things going about them. Their own characteristics, their own personalities. This movie doesn't do anything with the girls besides oh one's a, one's into sports one's one's moody and one is generic little kid like there's there's what what do I know about these girls I don't know anything other like being into sports isn't a personality trait it's a thing that people are into you know it's just a thing that exists you know what. What is it about sports? You know, what, it, you know, why, you know, what else, how does the sports thing roll into the family dynamics? They, they're really, these kids were like almost an afterthought. Like, oh, we got to have kids. Um, here, instead of being horny, the 13-year-old is moody. Cut out the one kid so we don't have to pay any more child actors. And then we'll have one that's into sports because that'll work. And then the other can just be the little, the cute one. You know, like, if you don't have anything to, if you don't have anything to bring to the table to make us care about these characters, that's the other thing, too. In the first movie, uh, Goldie Hawn really stuck her neck out for those kids. She, she chewed out the teachers at school, the teacher at school for being bad at her job and, and not doing, for being bad at her job and mistreating her kids. She helps the one kid to read. She comes around to them and plays with them a lot. And she becomes a maternal figure for them. It's why they don't want her to go. Derbez, the only thing Derbez does is cook food and teach the one kid how to ride a bike. Like, there's nothing about what they... There really isn't anything new that he... There isn't anything he really does to embrace... Like, there's a scene of him... Trying to be a dad for the 13-year-old girl who feels lonely. And then after that one conversation, she's barely in the rest of the movie. So, I, I don't... These kids are, for, are, are superfluous to the plot. Whereas, they were integral to the original's plot. 
So I don't get why it would be why if you did if you didn't have any idea of what to do with the kids, you would even remake this movie. And, and I'll get why they remade this movie. That's going to be part of the discussion. But yeah, this remake, the mo- I didn't ha- I liked it a bit more production wise because it wasn't as grating as that first movie. But the more I thought about it, the more I would never actually want to see this again. You know, like there's no reason to see this. Like, there would be a reason to see the first one, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. There is no reason to see the, the remake because there's nothing new that that brings to the table. You know, it has some Hispanic care, has more Hispanic representation, and, but aside, and it tries to play down, but it still has the same problematic elements. And if anything, by going less over the top, it's actually more forgettable. So as much as I thought the first overboard went too far... I could not care less about these. I could care less about these. No. Damn it. I forget how it goes. Point is, I don't care about these characters in the remake. Making them Hispanic, that's great for representation. I don't care. You know, like, I really could not care anymore about these people. Who are they? Why do they matter? You know? Whereas in the first movie, at least they were memorable, for God's sake. So yeah, overall, it, the remake tries to be a better version of that original, but it ultimately ends up being a blander version of the original. So if you want to watch Overboard, go watch the original Overboard. There's no reason to see this movie over that first one, unless you want more of that Hispanic representation. That, that's, that's all it really has going for it, and even then, it's not great. It's kind of, you know, it's it's just, oh, hey, we have a lot of Hispanic characters. Cool. Neat. Congratulations. You, you, I don't, it's not, they're not exactly really worth watching any more than the characters were in the first movie. Although I will say changing the parents' um, goal from running a, starting a mini golf course to becoming a nurse is more realistic, but at the same time, they don't really do anything with that either. It's just, oh, she's, there's a lot of scenes of her studying, and then she takes a test and pass, and passes. That's it. So, yeah, if you're going to watch Overboard, just go watch the original, man. This new one, the, the original is not very good, but at least it's something, you know? At least it tries something. This remake wants to copy that first one without really bringing anything new to it. Yeah, the, the remake is not very good, ultimately, and you're just better off watching the original. Your 20s are great, but then your 30s come around the corner like a garbage truck at 5 a.m. Girls heal. No, we don't. We might look like we're all better, but if you look close, we're covered in concealer. You're convinced that you're this failure, but you actually made your biggest dream come true. If you want to run off or something, I get that. Because I want to do that too sometimes, but I'm not gonna. I'm here to help you with everything. You can't fix the parts without treating the whole. Yeah, no one's treated my whole in a really long time. <laughs> This was my most anticipated release of the weekend, mainly because I'm familiar with the 
production team behind it. It's Diablo Cody and Jason Reitman. Diablo Cody being the writer behind Juno and the Young Adult, as well as Jennifer's Body, which didn't, uh, uh, which wasn't with Ivan with uh, Jason Reitman, Ivan Reitman's son. Um, and then Jason Reitman, who is known for those two things, plus Thank You for Smoking, and what was the other thing Jason Reitman did? Um, there was another thing. I know Thank You for Smoking. It's probably my favorite of his. But he is mainly no, he, Juno. Up in the air he did. And then that Labor Day movie with Joss Brolin and Kate Winslet? Okay. That weird Nicholas Sparks wannabe. So yeah. Um, that's Those are the ones they're mainly known for. But yeah, Juno. They've been... Uh, Diablo Cody and Jason Reitman have been collaborating since Juno in 2007. And this is their third movie together and i haven't seen juno i liked young adult i thought it was dark and harsh and abrasive and i and i was into that but and so i was interested to see what they're going to do with this which is a sort of take on motherhood uh with Charlize theron returning as the protagonist this time as a middle in middle uh middle class Mom, uh, having two kids, one who's uh, unofficially on the autism spectrum. He has a lot of the symptoms, man. Like, there's even a thing that they do for kids on the spectrum where they're like brushing his skin to kind of help him desensitize. So, I mean, I don't know why they didn't just go come out and say, "Oh yeah, but doctors have diagnosed him on the spectrum." Because all they really, they, I don't know, I had issues with this. But anyway, uh, Tully uh, has. As uh, Charlie Theron's character, uh, kind of struggling a lot in maintaining this household, and so um, her brother, played by Mark Duplass, come uh, who is much wealthier than they are, ha- hires a is able to pay for a night nanny for them. And at first, uh, Theron is very dubious. And uh, her husband Ron is just like, yeah. I mean, he he would Ron Ron Lemieux's character Drew is very is very supportive. Uh, you know, he he would he 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 does what he thinks is best, but he would also much rather you know follow uh, Theron uh, Theron's lead as Marlo. And so Mar and so um and so Marlo. It, after a really particularly bad day, because because of her son's um, disorder, he's very disruptive, and he is, and they, and the and the private school where they go to somehow doesn't have uh, the facility, the the ability to facilitate a kid with special needs. I don't know. I guess, I guess, it, I guess there are schools like that out there. But anyway. Um, it's not. It's it's unfortunately not a major plot point. It's all it's all subplot stuff. Um, but after a particularly bad day, Theron pa- uh, finally caves in and calls for the night nanny, who is this Tully, played by Mackenzie Davis, who I don't particularly recognize. Um, apparently, she's known for Halt and Catch Fire. She's on Black Mirror, and she's she was in Blade Runner twenty forty nine. And was also in The Martian. Okay. So, um, yeah, I'm not all that familiar with her, but she ba- 
she plays the night nanny, and her and Theron kind of hit it off as they as they kind of discuss almost like almost philosophically like the nature of life and of motherhood and of child and of child care and all that sort of stuff. And as uh, and Tully kind of helps Theron turn her life around. And I, and without going too far into spoiler territory, I'll leave it at that because. Uh, yeah, because like I, you know, it's not going to be just. I don't. I don't want to give away the real um, drama behind what's going on in this story. Uh, but yeah, so um, I kind of got as I was watching it. I kind of got a. I kind of figured. I kind of figured out one of my things. It's not a thing against the movie, but Tully is very much a manic pixie dream girl, so to speak. Like she fits. She. Almost perfectly fits that category. Only instead of helping the main love interest improve his life, it's a manic pixie dream girl for a woman to improve her own life and improve her own self, you know, improve her own confidence and whatnot. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I just it was just something that I couldn't help but notice because like um, Tully speaks different, is able to speak all these different languages, and she has all these all these weird quirky bits of trivia and she is so and she's almost like too perfect of a character until a certain point in the movie but for the while for the most part while we come to know Tully she is a she's almost too perfect of a character and that's why the that's where the whole manic pixie dream girl thing comes in i'm not I'm really not at liberty to say uh, the merits or the criticisms of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl archetype. I know even the um, the woman who... I think it's the woman. Was it the woman or the, the guy? Who, found, who came up with that? But, you know, if you're not familiar with this sort of... Uh, this sort of notion, it, it's very... Um, you see this a lot in... Like, like you see this a lot in uh, a lot of indie... Mumblecore style movies. Um, uh, one of the big ones was like Natalie Portman in Garden State. Uh, uh, Ramona Flowers is kind of one from Scott Pilgrim. Um, uh, uh, oh, um, 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 Maggie Gyllenhaal in uh, in uh, oh, what was that movie? Uh, Stranger Than Fiction, where she's like the anarchist baker. Um, you know, uh, oh, um, Kate Winslet in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. You know, these girls, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a char- it's a character type where Zoe Deschanel is very famous for playing this kind of girl where she has got like all these different, um, like, personal- these personality quirks where she's like, and mainly having to deal with her being energetic and spiritual and um and um outgoing and all these sorts of things and, and the idea is to bring the bring the character's mood po- up in order to but at at the expense of her but it's up to her character in order to do so um I'm trying to see who came up with TV tropes doesn't list who yeah here okay here we go Nathan Rabin is the one who came up with it. Um, he has since um, he has since disowned the term because he because it's become so twisted from his original idea, and it's almost become like a 
like a a slight against film. I don't I don't know what um I don't know if it was just something he pointed out and it meant it to be neutral and then people took it to mean negative. Um I'm not I can't speak to that. You'd have there are much more qualified people to talk about uh, the man facing dream girl its evolution as a terminology in film criticism and its merits and and whatnot. But um I could I definitely picked that up from Tully's character in this movie and I didn't hate it, but at the same time, it was something kind of off-putting. Like, well, well, okay, that's that's what we're doing. This is this is where we're going with this. Um, and it's also and it's also never really a full-on like subversion. I don't think, but but that's just me. Um, I will say Theron is the reason to see this movie. Theron is just fantastic. She's willing, and what she doesn't go as as. Um, as ugly as she did for uh, Monster, but she's willing to let herself look natural and look, you know, look, uh, you know, unattractive, like a little overweight. The boob, sometimes the boobs aren't perky, and it's like, yeah, duh, she's she's a she's a normal person. So the idea, like, there's even that scene where the where the daughter's like, "Mommy, what's wrong with your body?" <laughs> because three pregnancies and childbirths will do that to a human body. Um, I, yeah, I feel like uh, Theron, this is Theron's movie, and it is a character study more than anything else. That's why the most of the subplots and the supporting cast aren't all that important. We don't really know much about Ron Livingston's Drew. Uh, we don't really know that much about the kids, aside from the one kid ha- is probably on the spectrum. Like They describe the daughter, but they never really show us what the, what the daughter, what's going on with the daughter either. Um, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of jealousy and sort of like, um, misconceptions and distrust between the, cause Mark Duplass is her brother, but him and his wife played by Elaine Tan, 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 I'm assuming Tan, um, uh, they, they, uh, they think that, that, uh, Drew and Marlowe hate them, but then Drew and Mara are like, uh, they hate us. You know, they they can't stand us. And it's like, and, and it also never really goes um, goes much of anywhere with that. It's just kind of there. It just kind of exists in the universe. But um, yeah, it's 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 not bad. It's a it's a decent movie. And once again, if it were not for Theron as an actress, and even um, even Mackenzie Davis as Tully. The two of them playing off each other works well, and and it's and it's solid. But at the same time, there's a reason Diablo Cody is not one of my favorite writers. I have nothing against her. Uh, I'm glad that she's successful with stuff like this and Juno. And apparently, she's also doing something on Amazon. She did something on Amazon with wait, is that, that Tignataro? Holy crap! She 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 helped to create a series on Amazon with Tignataro. I'll have to check that out. Um, love Tignataro, but yeah, like I did not like, um, I did not like Jennifer's body when I first saw it. I'll have to revisit it now. Uh, I never saw Juno. I did like Young Adult, but I feel like, but I always got the, the feeling that Diablo Cody doesn't have a full grasp of how to write character dialogue. She's good at stories. 
and she's got interesting ideas. Like the whole idea of or the whole reason she wrote Juno. It's a story about teen pregnancy and what and how to handle that. Uh, um, Jennifer's Body is about is a horror movie about demon possession. Young Adult is about not living up to your you know not living up to your expectations. Ricky and the Flash. Not familiar with that one. Okay, that was oh god, that was the one with Meryl Streep. Um, uh, who, coming home after being a rock star. Never saw that one. Can't speak on its quality. Um, apparently, she also wrote in United States of Terra. So I mean, wait, yeah, that. So I, it's not. I can't. I don't want to say she's a bad writer. She's got good story. She knows how to write a good story. She's not the best, and she, and, and she, okay, here's a TV movie she did about a single mother, a single mother to five kids. Uh, so, I mean, she's tackling subjects that should be, should be talked about on film. The idea of motherhood, teen, preg- teen pregnancy, um, friend, you know, friendships, uh, you know, friendships that, ha- friendships that undergo stress and change, which is the whole point of Jennifer's body. I think Jennifer's body was also also had to do with like lesbian exploration, uh, you know, sort of, uh, sort of maybe even bisexuality. I, I have to rewatch that. Um, Paradise. What's this one? Never. Oh, this is her directorial debut. Um, after surviving a plane crash, young conservative woman suffers a crisis of faith. Huh. Interesting. Is it? Is this like a Christian movie? Did Diablo Cody write a full-on Christian movie, or huh? And weird. Anyway, um, yeah, like once again, Diablo. And I'm not. I. I. I think that's the problem. Is uh, Cody is getting better. Um, see, he's getting better at kind of. Developing her storylines in a in a in a better in and showcasing them, but at the same time, like there's a lot of talk without a lot of showing in this. It's very dialogue heavy, and a lot of the dialogue is it, you know I get awkward humor, but at the same time, like sometimes the awkwardness it feels almost forced. Like why is it made this awkward? Um, you know, I feel like you could do there's a better way to write that, but this I get to also get the feeling. This is her style. She, this is, she was part of that mumblecore kind of scene. I mean, she, Juno is probably one of the biggest sort of mumblecore movies out there. So, I mean, this has always kind of been her writing style. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I feel like there, she still has some work to do in order to better herself as a writer. And I feel like she's getting better as she continues to work. But I feel like, you know, this, you know, this is an, you know, this is a good movie. I don't know if I'd call it her best. This, what is her best? But uh, Ryman, Ryman, Ryman does a good job overall. But, um, but it, 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 he also isn't exactly doing anything that spectacular with this movie. Whereas with Thank You for Smoking, he was really, he, he, he was really giving. Something he's really giving that its own identity. Here, it's a pretty standard independent dramedy about motherhood. You know, it doesn't exactly go to. It's not exact. I. I it's almost too, too by the numbers. 
so to speak. It's almost too, too. It don't. It doesn't really have that same. Whereas young adult was abrasive and just cynical and and almost hateful in some aspects, and that gave it an identity. Juno was part was kind of the sort of impetus for a lot of that independent mumblecore scene. Here, it's almost it, it's almost like what else are you bringing to the table? You know, it's it doesn't really go. It's it's almost too subdued. I feel like if it went. For, it went more places if it went darker, if it went, you know, more cynical, you know, something like that. It might have, I might have gotten something more out of it. As it stands, it's still a good movie, but I honestly probably wouldn't watch it again, you know. It's not something I'd go back and revisit, so to speak. It's, 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 just, a, it's just a standard good movie, you know. It, it, it doesn't really warrant re-watching, but that's just me. Uh, you may find something you, you may identify more with Theron, and this may be this may be right up your alley. Uh, and so, but I still recommend every, you know people go out and see it. It's a solid movie. It's just it just it, it, it just there's almost something missing from it to push it and make it even better. But I don't I couldn't tell you what it is. So overall, Tully is a good movie about motherhood, though it is limited by the tropes presented by its creators. What's wrong? We're not safe. None of us. It's all good. I got your back. You're crazy. Crazy people get caught. You know why you're not in their little jail right now? Because you're in mine. So, in the 90s, for those of us who were there, you may remember a series of of blockbuster movies helmed by two men, Roland Emmerich, Roland... uh, How does Lindsay... Lindsay and Kyle... Lindsay Elias and Kyle Colgren have this way of pronouncing his name, and I want to do it, but I don't know how to make my mouth do the noises. Anyway, Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin. They were they started out with like Stargate. They did Independence Day. They did Godzilla. They did I think all the way up to 2012. Let me double check. Um but they were they you know they were major film, you know, they were a major part of blockbusters in the 90s. And Oh god, they've announced a Stargate reboot. Oh great. Fantastic. Um but Dean Devlin lately has been doing his own stuff. Uh he did the um he did the Librarians series for USA, I think. What was it, USA? TNT? TNT. Uh he did he did Geostorm, which was great. Um he did a Flyboys movie, but yeah, his big one, he did the Patriot. Wait, did he drop out by the Patriot? Oh, he did Eight-Legged Freaks. Okay, I'll give him that. Eight-Legged Freaks was fun. Um, I think he dropped out with Emmerich by Patriot's Day. Godzilla. Right around Geostorm. Indirect. 
You know, his name's not attached to the producer. So yeah, he must have dropped out with Emmerich. But no, Patriot wasn't the Patriot. Uh, wasn't the Patriot Michael Bay? No, that was Roland Emmerich. So yeah, after the Patriot, apparently they had a falling out until um, until this recent Independence Day movie. But yeah, Dean Devlin is the other half of this. While Roland went off to do his own stuff with The Day After Tomorrow, 2012, Anonymous, all kinds of really, really just over-the-top terrible movies, Dean Devlin's been doing his own thing. Apparently he produced Leverage as well. Uh, So he's been producing, he's produced some TV. He's a producer on the documentary Who Killed the Electric Car, interestingly. Um, He did The Eight-Legged Freaks, which is one of my favorite sort of B-movies out there. And this time around, he's got a movie called Bad Samaritan, which is produced by him and directed by him, written by Brandon Boyce, best known for Milk, Apt Pupil, Wicker Park, and Mortal Kombat, and is also written on Teen Wolf. Wait, uh, what, 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 what is this? Oh my god, they're turning Let the Right One In into a TV series. What the hell is this nonsense? Anyway, um... Yeah, uh... He... So yeah, this guy... Uh, oh no, he played an actor in Milk. He wasn't actually... He was he was a writer for Apt Pupil um, and Wicker Park and something in 2005 called Venom. No, which is apparently like about voodoo monsters, something. I have no idea. Um, so this, basically, this is a guy who wrote App Pupil for all intents and purposes. Never saw Wicker Park. Um, he's also he also wrote the Let the Right One in TV series, which doesn't list a network and doesn't have like any anything attached. Vancouver, Canada, Hammer Films. Doesn't there's like nothing on this IMDb page, so that shows how well that that series is going. Um, but yeah, uh, it's so it's Devlin producing and directing, and then Boyce writing. And the basic premise: there's something here. I'm I'm delaying because ugh, I got nothing to say about this movie, man. It's an interesting idea, and they've done this before. The idea of here's a criminal who notices a bigger crime and wants to try and stop the bigger crime from happening in order to be the hero. And here we've got Robert Sheehan, an Irish actor I've never heard of before, but apparently he's been in the the Mortal Instruments movie uh, Fortitude on Amazon and was Nathan Young on Misfits. I have no idea who this guy is. This and apparently he was also out in Geostorm, so that's where he and Devlin know each other. He plays an Irish immigrant, um, whose I think family is from Ireland. Marries an American who mo- they move out to Portland, and he is he is a douchebag. He is just a full out, full on douchebag. He chastises corporate. Uh, uh, work and wants to be an artist, and yet, and so he supports his income not by you know doing the thing that he loves, you know, not by taking pictures for like weddings or 
or um, if private events or being or, you know or, or submitting stuff for or maybe even like doing stuff on Instagram, you could do that. There's all kinds of stuff that allow you to be a photographer professionally. But no, he doesn't want to do those things. He wants to be an artist. Is this that means something, dude? You could do your art, but how would you expect your if you want to live by it? You need to have an idea of how to make money from your art. Art is commercial if you want to be a professional. I'm not stupid. I get how the world works. You can't just bum off your family and be a criminal and expect me to like you. You're an asshole. You steal from other people because you can't just suck it up and get a day job where you can, oh my God, take pictures, which is your passion. It's like, um, you know, it's to be a lot of uh, Mark from Rent where he gets a really nice gig doing what he studied in school to do, but because it's for a company, that all of a sudden makes it bad. I don't punch Mark in the face and that. All those assholes. Man, the people in Rent are assholes. Um, yeah, uh, this kid is like that. And during one of his robberies, he comes across a kidnap. He finds a woman being chained up in David Tennant's house. And much like with Theron and Tully, if you're at, if you're even going to think about seeing this movie, see it for David Tennant. He doesn't do quite a solid American accent. He's trying, but he's he's deliciously evil in this. And he is the old... I was rooting for David Tennant to kill the protagonist. That is how bad your movie is. You make me root against the protagonist and hope for the success, for the success of the villain. Like, I get that's a thing going on with uh, Infinity War where people identify with Thanos and see, where, see his point of view. People aren't rooting for Thanos. People want Thanos to be stopped. They just see what he's go- see his mindset. Here, I am literally, literally rooting for David Tennant to kill the protagonist. I want the protagonist dead in this movie. He is a screw up. He is an asshole, and I hate him. I don't blame that on the actor. I blame that solely on the writing. That, this is the writing and direction. This, you could have made this character likable, you know, charismatic. No, all he's got, is, all he's got going for him is a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a touch of an Irish brogue. You know, he, he's, he's, got a bit, he's got a wee bit of an accent. And that's all he has going for him. That's the only reason he's, he's like, you don't find me charismatic, but I have an accent. That's it. That's all. That really is it. It's just him in an Irish accent, and he's an asshole. He's an asshole who steals from people because he's too much of a douchebag to do what he actually loves commercially. Well, how does he think artists even succeed? The whole reason. I'm going to go a bit of art historian on you folks. If you want a good art history, check out our other podcast, Art. Um, Ah, oh, damn it! It's been so long since I pimped it. Um, um, it's our good, our good, good founder. Uh, Art, I swear. 
I, I, I talked with Vanessa about even being on it, but yeah, Art I Swear. Check out Art I Swear for more in-depth um, uh, art history. Brief art history lesson. Just general. You know things like, you know, you know all those paintings that people hang on the walls and the stat like iconic statues like uh, Michelangelo's David, uh, the Sistine Chapel. All those great works of art that we all come to appreciate. Somebody paid for that. The Catholic Church commissioned the Sistine Chapel. Um, a, a wealthy donor commissioned, I think even the Catholic, I think it was also the Catholic Church who commissioned Michelangelo to do the David. Artists get paid for their work to be shown by wealthy patrons. used to be by wealthy patrons. Nowadays, you can also pursue commercial interests. Like, it doesn't even have to be his art. He doesn't have to do artistry. He just has to make money taking pictures. How easy is that? All you have to do is go to a local photography studio and say, here are my credentials, here are my studies, here's my portfolio, Will you hire me or not? He can do freelance work as a photographer. But no. He's got to be an artist. You see why I want this guy to die, right? You see why I can't stand him, right? This douchebag could be doing perfectly fine for himself. No need to rob people who with actual jobs... No, he has to be an asshole because starving artist. Bite me, movie. Don't make me root for this guy because I won't. I will not root for this guy. He is a douchebag of the highest order and deserves everything bad that happens to him. Look at the thing. David Tennant is a villain. He is holding a woman hostage, and I want him to kill the protagonist who is trying to stop him. You had one job, movie. You had one job. Make me identify with and support the protagonist. That's all you have to do. And you couldn't. You could not. I'm getting upset, but at the same time, I actually don't hate this movie. This movie is bad. This movie is bad. It's not going to end up on my least favorite of the year list solely because of the glorious portrayal given to us by David Tennant. We do not deserve him. Truly, he is a gift from, from a higher power. I love this man so much. He is the only reason to see this movie. And if you're like me... You will absolutely root for David Tennant to kill the protagonist, who is a complete and utter douchebag. So yeah, I'm not talking too much about the plot. The basic plot is once um, once uh, uh, the kid finds out he the, about uh, the kidnap about the girl being held hostage, instead of you know doing the right thing then and there. He bumbles every step of the way. Even the woman 
being held hostage has to save his ass. And she, best line of the movie, she knocks out David Tennant, who is trying to kill the main character, and the woman is like, that's how you save a person! Thank you. Thank you. I think, um, uh, uh, who is that? I think it's, um, uh, who is, who is the, uh, I think that's, uh, Carrie Condon as the woman being held hostage. Oh, she's the voice. Wait, is this the voice? Is... Hold on a second. Hold on. Hold a, Hold the tick. Wait a tick. Wikipedia. Number one in Carrie. Katie, played by Carrie Condon. The voice of Friday from the Marvel Universe. What a waste. You've got the voice of the new Jarvis from the Friday, from the, from the, Friday, from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as well as a main character, main actress, a prominent actress on Better Call Saul and The Walking Dead, and, and, and a Shakespearean trained actress, and she's a MacGuffin. Like, they try to give her characterization and her interactions with David Tennant, but she's ultimately a MacGuffin. This woman did not deserve this. Anyway, um... Yeah, this 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 thrill this is a terrible thriller. It is horribly done. Dean Devlin is just all what else has he directed? He direct I think did he direct um did he direct Geostorm? There you go. Yeah, he directed Geostorm. This this and Geostorm are what Dean Devlin is capable of as a director. His best movies are where he's produced them. He is not a good director. And he is, it's really, it, I, and I feel bad because he, li- he liked my posts about Bad Samaritan. Like his official Twitter account liked them. But, I th- and I think it's only because I mentioned his name. But, <sighs> I'm sorry man, like, I don't like your movies. Like, I don't, nothing against you. I just don't like them. I, I just don't. I, I, they're not good. So... You know, keep at it, man. Like, you do you, bud. People, you know, people will pay for what they want to pay for, but... This? Like, this? And Geostorm? Like, really? Like, if you're... I don't know. I don't know. If you're into bad movies, this is... This is this is great for one of those watches, but nah, this... this I can't take this seriously. I can't... I can't recommend anybody go out and see this in theaters. So, yeah, skip it. Skip it. Wait for it to come out on, like, Netflix or something and then roast the hell out of it on, like, a movie night with your friends and bring plenty of wine. Uh, So, yeah, that was all the new releases this week. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back with uh, some talk about that MGM remake situation. Did you know Ash's name in Japan is Satoshi after Pokemon creator Satoshi Tajiri? Did you know Rurouni is a neologism created by the original author of the Rurouni Kenshin manga? Did you know Godzilla's Japanese name is a portmanteau of gorilla and whale? If you want to learn about these subjects and more, listen to Majide, a Westerner's view of Japanese media and culture, available only on the Gumby Cat Network.
being on after being going so many episodes without it, I've actually it's been we've had like two Magnificent Sevens come back like within a month of each other. So uh, uh, yeah, I had nothing else to really talk about today. Um, uh, with with uh, Overboard being an MGM remake, I wanted to, I did wanted to give a brief intro to w- what's going on. Basically, if you haven't heard already, uh, MGM filed for bankruptcy in Chapter Eleven in 2010, and while they had been remaking some of their old movies before then, there was a real you know there's been a real push for more remakes out of them since they held the license to so many movies. And the, and since that initial bankruptcy, they've remade Red Dawn, Poltergeist, RoboCop, Ben-Hur, Carrie, Magnificent Seven, the movie that gave gave this gave this um uh, this uh this uh segment its name. Uh, and then of course they've even got another remake coming out this year. It's another remake of. Uh, this time, gender flipped. This, uh, the, the remake is going to be of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. They don't call it that, though. They're, they're calling it The Hustle. I saw it on the numbers. Uh, it's supposed to come out in June. And basically, the hus- it's basically a remake of that movie, which itself was a remake of, I think, of an old British comedy. And so they're going to do that, but with women. And it's supposed to star Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson. So we'll see about that. Um, but yeah. These remakes are just a thing MGM is doing to try and recoup. Because unfortunately, as Disney has especially proven, sometimes if people just recognize the name, they don't care so much about the quality. You know? A name recognition brings in more money. And so they're willing to remake stuff like Overboard. Oh, people remember Overboard. People remember Red Dawn. People remember Poltergeist and Robocop and Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur of all things. So, um... I can't begrudge them for it, but I will but I will say this. Instead of remaking some of their more well-known movies like The Magnificent 7 and Ben-Hur, they with with the rights that they hold between their own library, United Artists and Orion Pictures, they've got plenty of stuff to choose from. So, here are some of my, some of my suggestions and a couple of ideas of how to particularly remake some of these old MGM movies. Uh, so with that being said... The Popcorn Junkie presents... The Magnificent Sevens! The top seven remake-worthy MGM films. Now this is actually my first Magnificent Sevens that I can remember... Actually having honorable mentions. I don't think I've had honorable mentions on any of my other ones. Uh, so, uh, but these two didn't make it onto the final list. But I wanted to talk about them. Uh, because I feel like they they bring up mentioning as far as remakes go. First one is Soylent Green. Uh, Soylent Green is a phenomenal post-apocalyptic dystopian movie. And I think that could easily be remade there's just one problem everyone knows the twist it's like trying to remake the sixth sense and calling it the sixth sense oh gee i wonder what the twist is going to be we know what the twist is it's iconic to i mean it's one thing for like i am legend and that storyline to continually be remade because you're calling it a different thing and you're 
doing different takes on the storyline. Whereas Soylent Green, if you call it Soylent Green, people are going to expect the iconic line at the end. And so it's the only reason why it can't really be remade, because it won't have the same impact. You'd have to try and go further. I don't even know how you beat the ending of Soylent Green. So I would love to see that remade, but you'd have to almost like erase everyone's memory of the original in order for that remake to work. The second one is Night of the Hunter, which is a classic Robert Mitchum movie that features a serial-killing Catholic priest who... Not Catholic priest, because he marries. He's a serial-killing preacher. And he marries into a family in order to try and steal money from them. And it's, it's a tense, taut thriller. And... I think that could easily you could easily do that with like a with like a Michael Shannon or a Brian Cranston, and you know. And, but at the same time, I haven't seen that one. I haven't seen the original. I can't speak to if you should remake it because I hear it's considered like it's by a lot of people it's considered one of the best movies of all time. It's not in the AFI's top one hundred, but it's in a lot of people's best you know best movies of of all time. Best movies you've got to see. So I mean. It's iconic, and I feel like, in that sense, it's almost like remaking The Godfather or Citizen Kane. Like, do you really want to test, you know, tempt to remake something so, so well regarded and so well done the first time? Like, isn't the point of a remake to do to fix something that is that it's that is that wasn't perfect the first time and do it better? But I don't know. I'd have to rewatch the original and see if you could you could remake it, but. Yeah, those are my two honorable mentions. I just wanted to get those out of the way. Number seven. Number seven does deal with Robert Mitchum. Uh, this one, uh, this one I think has been tackled again, but uh, but I don't know how. But I don't think it's the specific storyline. I know they've used this title recently for a short, but um, the title is Thunder Road. And it's Robert Mitchum returning from the Korean War to take over his family's moonshine business. And I think having a period... He could either do a period piece or he could do a modern day setting of somebody returning from the Iraq War and running a sort of... Maybe not moonshine, but maybe a drug drug business. But having... I think... I think Thunder Road is such a great title and it's a solid premise that... I'm surprised it wasn't already remade, and I'm surprised they haven't tackled it again. Like, you could easily do, maybe switch it up, make it, uh, make it, switch up the lead actor so they're a different race, different gender, maybe. Uh, but make it about the whole idea of returning from war and going into, cr- and going into crime. You could make it a period piece, set it in the 50s again during the Korean War, maybe set it further into Vietnam. Maybe set it further back. Maybe they come from World War One or World War Two. Uh, you could do a period piece. You could do a modern day setting. But the idea of a veteran having to deal with both gangsters, other gangsters, and the police uh, while running this sort of criminal operation, and I'm guessing the, the Thunder Road thing deal makes a deal with a lot of cars and racing. So something more in the vein of like a Fast and the Furious, maybe. Call, they're call it car exploitation, so I, I can see this working being remade. You know, I, there are plenty of movies in the same vein, so why not this one? 
maybe not call it Thunder Road specifically, but this story, redoing this story, wouldn't be a bad idea if you're gonna if you're gonna remake something. I don't know how many people re- remember Thunder Road, but I feel like there's something more you could do with it there, especially maybe make a commentary on the dr- the war on drugs and how futile it ultimately is. You know, something there's something there that you could do. Number six. Number six is called Kill Me Again. It's probably the latest of the movies I thought to remake. And for those who haven't heard of this one, this was a Val Kilmer movie from the 90s where he and his wife, Joanne Wally Kilmer, at the time Wally Kilmer, um, are are, um, beset by Michael Madsen, who is an over-the-top psychotic gang gang lord or something, uh, mob... Uh, mob boss, something like that. Oh, no, it's the mob and her psychopath boyfriend. Okay. Uh, attractive young lady wants to escape from her violent and jealous boyfriend, so she hires um, Val Kilmer's character, second-class private eye investigator, to arrange her death. She, they restart her life with a new identity, and because of Jack's financial problems, da, 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 unfortunately, Vince finds out that they're still alive, and the hunt for Jack and the, the Jack Faye and the money begins. You can see that. See, I like that premise. Um, uh, maybe this... I don't know about the first movie. I'm thinking it's probably more from Val Kilmer's point of view. Maybe you remake it from the woman's point of view. Maybe, you, you know, say make her the main character. Um, maybe you switch it out. Maybe there are two genders. So it's like two, two, two women on the road. Uh, on the run from the law. and fr- On the run from the... Bu- on, the uh, on the run from the mob and this uh, psycho ex... Um, John Dahl is the is one of the wrote and direct, co-wrote and directed this. He's best known for Rounders and The Last Seduction. So he's also been working on Billions and a bunch of uh, Ray Donovan. He's directed some episodes of. He directed a couple episodes of the Iron Fist series. Uh, so I mean, like I could see you doing something. Yeah, you know, once again, it's a noir crime drama. So all you have to do is get uh, a charismatic lead actor, maybe like a Jeremy Renner, or um, maybe like a Chris Evans, even. Uh, but then you also pair him up with a dynamic lead actress, point it, put it from her point of view, instead of her, because I think I don't know about the first movie, but I think setting it from her point of view is more interesting than just oh I'm here to help you out, help you fake your death here. I'm paying you to fake my death. You know, changing the point of view would be would be a better idea. I have to, I have to watch this one. 1989 is when it came out. I think this could work as a remake. And because, I mean, I don't know many people who saw it. It's kind of middling. I think it could make a solid uh, crime thriller out of this. Especially when, once it hit, once it gets to the head of the mob and the boyfriend both real, realize they're still alive. And you could do that with, like, oh, um... With modern tech, standing in the modern day, so they try to fake her death, but then like she out, she accidentally gets tagged on Facebook or something, you know, something like that. So I mean, you could, I could see this working again, and I don't see why I don't try it. You know, uh, pair it off with like, like I said, Jeremy Renner, maybe a Chris Evans, and you pair them off with uh, a Scarlett Johansson, maybe, uh, or maybe um, an Emily Blunt. I I can might I might be able to see. Um, I'm trying to think, young, uh, maybe a Natalie Portman, I, maybe I don't know. Uh, you could probably find some de- really good actresses, and then um, 
And then uh, Dean Norris, maybe as the ex-boyfriend, the Michael Madsen role. Or um, 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 Michael, che- Michael Checklist, you bring back, bring him back for this. Uh, ooh, who's another good one? Um, uh, you may get, be able to get Bruce Willis. Maybe get a Bruce Willis uh, in on this. Uh, maybe maybe even like, or you could easily switch. I'm thinking Caucasian. Maybe you could switch up the races a bit. Maybe she's a black woman. So you got Gabrielle Union, who I'm going to talk about during the trailer talk. And um, Nancy's trying to escape from... Uh, a uh, Danny Trejo, or a, um, or you get a Zoe Saldana, even like there's stuff you could do with this, but yeah, Kill Me Again I think has a solid enough premise that you could easily remake it, and plus it's not like it's the most iconic from MGM, so why not give it a shot? Number five. Number five is probably the most iconic. It, it may be the second most, depending on who. Who, I'm t- who we're dealing with, depending on who you are, but The Birdcage. MGM owns the rights to the French, the film rights to the French film, the French play La, La Cage aux Folles, I think. The Birdcage, yeah, the bird, but basically The Birdcage as we know it. And I know the Robin Williams and um, Nathan Lane version is iconic to a lot of people. It was very, I, but I think at the same time with the advances, in um, uh, you know, I think in this time around, instead of making it a full on farce that plays on gay stereotypes, you could do a more you could do a you could easily remake this for modern sensibilities. I think having um, I think having like a gay maybe a gay director or maybe you know somebody who is more familiar who is more um. Uh, who was who, more adept in in portraying gays in the media? I think doing something like that, may, being a more honest and 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 positive representation of gay culture would be, would be a great idea. And I mean, the premise. I mean, like, it's, unfortunately, the premise is still pretty pretty stand, you know, pretty pretty um, relevant and. I, but I think like having I heard um I heard Luke Evans is openly gay. I could see him with his like little I could see Luke Evans with his like little um pencil thin mustache as the Robin Williams role. Um or but once again, it doesn't have to be an openly gay actor, but I feel like once again, I feel like the story could do with some but I once again, I can't speak maybe it is maybe the campiness of the of the premise and of the film itself is it is what is part of what the what the gay community enjoys about it but i feel like the the birdcage is something that every couple of every generation could be remade based on depending on how um that the gay culture is doing and i feel like with the advancements uh with gay, for gay rights and of gay representation i feel like a more honest honest portrayal and representation of gay people in the film is is warranted uh maybe you don't have to tone down the comedy obviously but maybe maybe finagle with it make it work you know find a way to make it work without being too you know uh offensive uh not so much as like overboard did but i feel like um but i feel like you know i feel like you could th- there's a way you could do the birdcage nowadays as a means of um 
as a means of tackling gay issues. And I don't see why you shouldn't try. I mean, why not? Why not, you know, why not make a new birdcage as, as, a, as a sort of means of representing the LGBT community on fi- in a positive way on film? Why not? You know, go for it. The, you know, it's not like we should be beholden to, like, the Robin Williams, Nathan Lane version as the only version out there. Because, like, there's the French film version that the, the MGM also owns the rights to. So why... Go for it. Do these things. Be be a b- more positive force for the gay community and the LGBT communities. Do the thing. Why not? Go for it. You know. Number four. This is the other one that's probably the most iconic of the ones I've brought up. Um, Logan's Run. This one is more familiar, but I feel like unlike Soylent Green. Logan's Run isn't so beholden to the pop culture zeitgeist that you couldn't remake it. It's not like there isn't room for improvement. Soylent Green, there may be room for improvement, but you're not gonna, you're not gonna, lightning's not gonna strike twice with that one. Logan's Run, you could probably, Logan's Run is kind of, the original is kind of campy. I feel like having a more honest sci-fi portrayal of that kind of dystopian future, it could work. I also hear that it's not very well adapted from its source material. Um, who wrote the book? I know uh, Logan's Run. It's based on a book, but I also hear that it's very loosely based on that book. Uh, I know they tried to do a TV series out of it. William F. Nolan and George Clayton Johnson from 1967. Dystopic a- ageist future society in which both population and consumption of resources... Are maintaining the equilibrium by requiring the death of everyone reaching the age of oh my god that's eat that's even better in the movie it was like thirty seven you make it twenty one like it is in the book and you got some, you could do something there especially you could comment on on age in the media and how everyone has to look young and vibrant and beautiful wait where, where, there's a remake. Though a remake has not been produced as of November 2017, plans and updates regarding a remake have been discussed almost continuously from the mid-1990s to, to, to as recent as 2015. Brian Singer was, it, was initially interested, was brought in to develop it at one point. Christopher McQuarrie was brought on to write. Uh, production offices were taken over by the production of the 20, 2008 box office Bondsby Racer. Uh, Joseph Kosinski... Uh, who went on to re- to make Tron Legacy was attacked, was hired on at one point. Uh, Alex Garland, uh, no- Nicholas Winding Refn was initially attached to have Ryan Gosling and Rose Byrne, and in as the leads. So they're they're working on it. I was right. I was right. This is there's there is merit for this for this thing. They just haven't found the right fit yet. But I think going closer to that that source material. Not going less with the thirty-year-olds. Going with that idea of once you're of college age, then you're done. That that's it. So I mean, uh, I feel like you could easily do that. Make it almost. It's almost too. By that point, it would almost be too young adult because that's very. That's a very young adult uh, YA sort of style to it. But I feel like you could make it. You could do that. Uh. I don't have to read, I don't know how good the book is, but I feel like adhering to that might might work better. And yeah, I mean, th- there's there's merit for this to be remade, and I'm glad to see that they're working on it. I don't know if MGM still owns the rights to it, though. 
Um, does not say who is the one remaking it, but um, I'm a sh- Warner Brothers began developing on a remake. So I guess they own the rights because Warner Brothers did buy out part of MGM. So I guess they're working on the on that end on doing a remake. And once again, this this has merit for being for for a good for a decent remake. Number three. This one I'm actually kind of depressed is still relevant, but in the current state of race relations, this black exploitation movie is almost too perfect to not go un unremade, you know, to not go remade. This is the Jim Brown classic Tick Tick Tick. Ellipses included. The ellipses are part of the actual trademarked and copywritten title. Uh Tick 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 Tick, tick, is um, it, it is about a black sheriff who takes over a very racially divided small town in I think Kentucky, and it is very much on the black exploitation end. And with the Superfly remake coming out in June, I'm act, you know there's a there's a merit to having a black these black exploitation movies be remade, so. I could if MGM still owns the rights to this. I don't see why you don't let um, you know a young black filmmaker uh, try and tackle this subject again and do a new version of this where it is a, where it is where comments on not only race relations but the black but the black community's relationship with the police. You know the idea of the I, don't, I haven't seen the original, so I'm assuming it probably ties into the idea that the black uh, citizens. Think of think of Jim Brown's character as a as a traitor, you know, for working for the people who working for the working for the enemy sort of thing. There's merit for this to be remade, and it's sad to say that that's the case. But you know, there's a you know there's a lot of racially charged uh, rhetoric going around in, in the culture nowadays, and this and it's all and I, this is the kind of movie that is warrant revisiting. And I think handing off once again handing it off to a black filmmaker and a black and some black writers and telling the story and telling the story again about uh, you know the, uh, about about this character trying to maintain control of this really this 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 powder keg and that, that's I mean hell that's where the title comes from it's a ticking time bomb it's just waiting to go off and I feel like maybe not calling it. I don't know if you'd call it tick tick tick, but I think it's a cop. I think it's a solid title. I mean, you'd almost be cribbing the uh, whole Dunkirk trailer if you, for, for the marketing. But like, but but at the same time, like, hey, it works. Why not? Uh, maybe call it something else. But it's, but really, this is the kind of thing that unfortunately warrants a remake. And I feel like having. A young, a young uh, black producer, and you know, pr- you know, maybe give it to like Code Black Films or one, you know, a black production company, uh, but give it to somebody who's able to do something meaningful and 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 and, com- and do some something like a, a Ryan Coogler. Like, who's the next Ryan Coogler? Find that filmmaker and lo- let them make this movie, remake this movie. You know, that sort of thing. Somebody who can do do some. Real commentary and insight into this sort of subject material. Number two. Now, these last two are personal preferences. Of all of these, I think Logan's Run and Tick, Tick, Tick 
uh, are the ones that warrant a remake, uh, given the advances in, in society and in technology. I feel like those two are the ones that would 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 um, would uh, improve with a remake. Um, these last two are ones that I would just love to see remade and be brought to life with what we have available to us now. And 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 it's a story that I personally would love to see again. This one is a Vincent Price B B horror comedy. Theater of Blood. The premise is a slighted Shakespearean act. A Shakespearean actor is slighted by an awards ceremony, and in and he is feels he is disrespected by his colleagues and by the industry. So he fakes his own death. I don't know if he fakes his own death or he 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 is, un, is unsuccessful in his in committing suicide. But he is able to evade death. Everyone thinks he's dead. And with that knowledge, he comes back and murders all of his enemies. And they call it a comedy. The trailer makes it look much more like a, a, sort, of, a sort of true slasher movie. But let me pull up the information. Let me pull up information. But yeah, having Vincent Price as this sort of bombastic Shakespearean actor. Uh, don't recognize anybody else in the cast. Diana Rigg, Ian Hendry, Harry Andrews, Coral Brown, Jack Hawkins, Arthur Lowe, Milo O'Shea. Yeah, I don't recognize any of these people. But yeah, um... I think this could easily you could easily and the whole and the, the funny part is the funny part is all the murders are done in the style of Shakespearean plays. So somebody is drawn in court, a body is dragged by a horse, another is decapitated, another is electrocuted, another is murdered by a mob. He kills his enemies in the same way people die in a Shakespeare, in the Shakespearean plays. I I'm in love with this idea. Shakespearean slasher. I love this. And I think this could warrant perfectly from like an Ian McKellen or a Patrick Stewart. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Maybe an Anthony Hopkins. Somebody may get, but I know um, specifically McKellen and Stewart are open to comedies. And I feel like getting one of them to take over the Vincent Price role would be perfect. And then... Just ha- just go do this all o- do this again with what we have capable of with with the advances in technology. You know, make it to play up the sort of just farce- farce- farcical nature of it all. Uh, yeah, it's it it, it it it. I think this could work. Per- this could work amazingly, and I love this premise. I love the campiness of the trailer, and I think you could do. You could do something amazing with this, and I hope that they and I hope that they managed to. Uh, that I hope that they made a stage adaptation from this film with Jim Broadbent as the lead star. So this has been adapted from film to stage, from screen to stage. So I feel like redoing this again with someone like like that, like Jim Broadbent, getting somebody who's recognized as a very well talent, a very talented 
very well regarded actor, but have him do this campy horror slasher would be amazing. Uh, so so uh, let so I say why not do this? This, this would be amazing. This would be great. Somebody do this, please. Number one. And the last one is one that I mentioned before in a previous Magnificent Sevens, The Phantom Tollbooth. I don't know if MGM still owns the rights to it, but whoever does, we need that Phantom. MGM initially made an adaptation of The Phantom Tollbooth featuring Chuck Jones's uh, animation as the part where he goes into the fantasy world. Given what we have today, we are owed. Somebody owes us a big budget fantasy epic Phantom Toll Booth. You know, it doesn't have to be. I, I want. I, I hear nothing but good things about this story, and I want that to be brought to my eyes. I want my 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 eyes need to see this brought to life. I need this. My I crave. This, I want somebody. Wh- where are we at right now with adaptations? Where are we at in terms of adaptations? Uh, bu- 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 Tristar announced Matt Shackman would direct a live-action hybrid. Matt Shackman, best known for "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia." Wait, what does he do when it's always sunny? Hold on, hold hold on a second, because that might work if he's that if he's he's directed episodes for Fargo and Game of Thrones, Mad Men, and directed a whole bunch. He directed forty three episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I think between it's directed episodes for Psych and House, this guy's mainly a TV director, but I feel like. I feel like, given he, that he's worked with Game of Thrones, and it's and something like It's Always Sunny, and something like Psych, this guy would be would be would be an excellent choice for um, the Phantom Toll Booth. Uh, I'd have to see what he has in mind for it, but I just I just want someone to do it. Somebody do the thing. I need it in my life. Somebody bring this to me. I need it. Uh, so yeah, MGM, you've got a lot in your library. Don't feel beholden to always remake the same, the, the the regular movies, or just try to do. If you are going to remake something, try to do something with it. The problem with these, all of these remakes beforehand, is they pale in comparison to their originals. So. If, uh, if you don't have something new to bring to the table and you can't make something as good, if not better, than that original, try it. Try something else. Go for one of these other ones that people won't recognize that doesn't have that baggage, to, baggage attached to them and do something new and unique with them. And yeah, wh- but basically these MGM movies, whether they're owned by MGM or not, I have no idea. It said TriStar for Phantom Toll Booth and it said uh Warner Brothers for Logan's Run. But whoever owns these movies, if you're going to remake something, remake these. And once again, that uh that uh Night of the Hunter might work as well, but um actually while I'm thinking about it, since I since I since um 
I didn't know about the Logan's Run and uh, and a Phantom Tollbooth adaptations. Does not say if there's a... Let me try the novel, the same name, see if there's adaptations related. That's where I found the Logan's Run and Phantom Tobuth stuff. They directed a stage production in 2004. That's the last of... At last of what... Last of last adaptation from the book that I've seen. So... You could remake this. Whoever owns the rights to Night of the Hunter, if it's been that long since it's been adapted, why not? Why not give it a shot? So there you go. Unofficial number eight. Maybe uh maybe swap out um Kill Me Again for uh Night of the Hunter. But yeah. These you know, some things you know, some things can work with a remake. You know, and, and it's just maybe it's either it's to bring a new an old story to a new audience, or it's to do something new with an old story to present it for a mo- present it for a modern audience, adapt it from that source material, and to make something new and original with it for that od- for that audience. So it, that's all I'm asking. I'm not against remakes. If you're going to remake something, I just ask that you do something with it. So that's my list of the top seven MGM. Movies that 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 should be remade or however however I'm gonna word that. Um, so uh, let's move things right along with the box office report. And now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. All right, we tune in this week. Last week we saw Event Avengers dominate the box office with two hundred. And $50 million domestically. Uh, and then everyone else is kind of, tail, kind of tailing along. So we tune in this week with three new releases. Uh, number seven, dropping down from number five, is Black Panther. After the initial rush from the... Uh, after that initial Avengers boo, uh, boost, Black Panther is back down, uh, dropping down to number seven, with $3 million this weekend. Bringing its overall... Uh, gross to domestically almost seven hundred million dollars, and worldwide one point three billion. This is why representation matters, folks. And of course, it, all, it also helps that it's a damn, damn good mood movie too. This really is a this this is this goes along the lines of like a a black of like a Dark Knight almost. Maybe not a Dark Knight. That was that was a lot more. A lot more, a lot more, um, they tried to be more grounded. This, I feel like, is the first one since Iron Man to really be a game changer. So you had Iron Man, Avengers. I don't know if there really was a game changer in between, uh, in between since, since, since that first Avengers movie. I feel like the first real game changer since then is Black Panther, only to be followed up by Infinity War. So... <laughs> You know, so but hey, Black Panther was a great lead in to Infinity War too. So, no complaints here. Good on you guys. Wakanda forever. Uh, next up, the first of the new releases to appear on the chart: Tully. 
premiered at $3.3 million. Uh, There's like a $40,000 difference between Tully and Black Panther. And it does not state on Box Office Mojo the production... Uh, the production cost, the budget of the movie, nor does it state on IMDb. Let's try the wiki. Budget is not stated. So, let's compare it to their last movie, Young Adult. I'm assuming it's probably about the same in terms of... Uh, budget it can't be much higher or lower so young adult that's right patrick wilson was the was the would-be love interest that she tried to hook up with um i know Patton also was the main love interest the one that she kind of worked the one that she actually hooked up with but yeah patrick wilson was the guy who was who was the big jock and love interest from their high school years that she tried to get back with uh, that one was $12 million. So I'm assuming it's probably about the same. I can't imagine it's that much higher. So I would say maybe 10 to $15 million. With a premiere of $3 million, that's not good. That's, that's barely a fraction of... Because that would mean they would need about 20 to $25 million lowball in order to start recouping the production cost. It only premiered at three million, and it's probably going to get buried before the end of May because we've got Deadpool two coming up and Solo. So maybe it can recoup losses on video, but nobody's going to see Tully, sadly. And I know I had to go to the I had, I had to go across town to where my parents live in order to see it. And the only other places besides that are in the next counties over. So not being shown on a lot of screens didn't help it either. So yeah, Tully, not not a good premiere for it. Uh, We'll see how it does within the next week. Because next weekend is Mother's Day weekend. That may give it a boost. And there's only two new releases coming out, which I'll talk about. But we'll see uh, how how Tully fares. Uh, Number five, dropping down from number four last week, Rampage. $4,600,000 this weekend domestically. Uh, that's a g- total domestic gross of $84 million and a total worldwide gross of $377 million. Like I said, Rampage is doing good for itself. The foreign market recouped all of the losses. It couldn't even make back its budget domestically, but that's okay. This was more for the foreign markets because it's not a language-driven movie. It's an action-driven movie. So they don't have to worry so much about dialogue and character development. They can just see big stuff go boom. Not to diminish the foreign audience, but... Sometimes that's that's those that's the stuff that translate well, translates well. You know, you don't you don't need lengthy character drama. You just need big stuff go boom in order to get people's attention. Number four, dropping down from number three, is I feel pretty. I feel pretty brought in four point nine million this weekend. Um, that's a total domestic gross of thirty seven million. So it made back its it managed to make back its budget overall before. It's run right now. But remember, you have to multiply the budget by it, by two in order to accommodate for advertising. So this is still technically in the red. This is barely scraping over their production costs. It does not even begin to cover 
their uh, advertising and marketing costs. So if it's lucky, it might come out uh, with $50 million before it's the end of its run, but... I don't know, man. I think this is the it, I, this is it for Eiffel Pretty, and I don't feel bad for it because it's just it's a terrible movie. Meanwhile, dropping down from number two to number three is A Quiet Place. A Quiet Place bringing in this weekend uh, $7.6 million, bringing its domestic total to $159 million, and the worldwide total to $255 million. Once again... That production cost was $17 million. Yes. Yes, that this, this movie is a runaway success. And this is why sometimes you don't need a big budget to make a, good mo- to make a big movie. I mean, think about things like The Blair Witch Project. And a lot of those horror movies, they barely succeed because they're so cheap. This one, if you make a decent enough horror movie, these low to middle budgeting budget movies are can make you gangbusters if you're not so focused on making the billions. Not everything needs to be Avengers and Black Panther and Marvel Cinematic Universe billions of dollars. Sometimes hundreds of millions on a tens of million dollar budget could be just as good. So yeah, Quiet Place, good for them. Next up, number two, our second premiere in the top seven, Overboard, which came in with $14 million. And no word on a production budget from Box Office Mojo. So, let's try. Let's try IMDb. What does it say? Details, production credits, technical specs, no word. All right, let's try Wikipedia. These are my these are how I try to finagle uh, budgets and whatnot. Budget is twelve million dollars according to Wikipedia. Box office brought in fourteen point eight million, so it made back its budget o- opening weekend. But remember, it's got to make double that in order to recoup marketing losses. So if it can't break thirty million dollars, if it can't break twenty five million dollars, I think because that'll cover. 12 times 2. If it can't get make another $10 million uh, over the next week, or never, next couple of weeks, it's going to be a fa- It's going to technically be a failure. Not a big failure, but, you know, it, it think, it's luck. They're lucky that they went with a, with a lo- budget along the same lines as uh, A Quiet Place. Because if it was any higher than that, they, it would have been a, it would have been a loss. But yeah. I don't think Overboard is going to bring in the same kind of... Like, even if it does manage to make its money back, it's not going to be a success for the studio. I'm really just... Yeah, I forgot to mention. Uh, um, Derbez uh, is, can, is, is tasked with doing a Speedy Gonzalez movie, which I'm all for. Um, I think he... I, I'm, I'm interested to see... I, think, I haven't seen How to Be a Latin Lover, so I can't speak to that one. But I, I know... Um, Instead of the uh, birthmark, it's a uh, it's a Speedy Gonzalez tattoo, and I feel like, and I know Speedy Gonzalez is still considered a a a a, a, um, a, res- a respectable. It's not as offensive in Mexico as it is in the states. I think because um, the way the way it was described in the movie is Mexico it, it, to Mexicans, he's a he's a sort of representation. He's not a full on stereotype because he is character. Because I mean, he does. He's charismatic. He gets the ladies. He he succeeds. He's a trickster. He's able to overcome. You know, he's able to outsmart his enemies. 
So he's like a Bugs Bunny, even, but with a, an accent and a sombrero. And I think the accent and sombrero are what throw people off because to Mexicans, from especially according to at least according to Derbez in this movie, because uh, I'm guessing since he's going to be adapting the adaptation, he's probably going to be he's probably he probably agrees with this somewhat. But yeah, to to, to a lot of Mexicans, he is uh, a sort of good representation of a, of a charismatic lead hero character. You know, he protects his people from cats. He brings them food. He's a Robin Hood character of sorts. So, so I mean, I, I, if you look at it from that point of view, it makes sense. I'm interested to see how he handles um, uh, the character. Because I know the last couple of times we've done... All, most of the live-action cartoon, char- cartoon movies we've had have been god-awful. We'll see about the Speedy Gonzalez movie. That's coming out, I think, 2019. So... Who knows? Uh, but but Justice last week, number one movie is still Avengers: Infinity War. This weekend, it saw precipitous drop, almost in more than half, uh, from its initial gross, which was for initial from its premiere, which was uh, two hundred fifty-seven million. This one is this weekend. It's brought in one hundred twelve million, and that brings its. Uh, overall domestic total to $450 million. And the worldwide total to already over a billion. So, in two weekends, Avengers Infinity War brought in a billion dollars. This, this gambit paid off, didn't it? <laughs> this whole gamble uh, that Marvel did back in 2008, it completely, it's starting to really pay dividends for them. That's two billion dollar movies in one year. Oh my god, that's amazing! So yeah, congratulations to Infinity War. It's it's paying off. In, it's paying off in spades. So that was that's all the that's all for the top seven. Uh, the last premiere we had was number ten with Bad Samaritan, which came in with one point seven million dollars, and the budget on that. Is not listed. Let's try the other places. So let's try it. IMDB. Wait, I saw it. There it is. Thankfully, it was linked on that um, that page. Uh, budget, budget, budget. Da, 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 not listed. So let's go over to Wikipedia. No budget listed. I would hope that it's no more than five million dollars, but yeah, it couldn't even break two million dollars uh, this weekend. So uh, hopefully, it didn't cost too much because if it cost more, if it costs on the upwards of a ten million dollars, this is a failure. This is a flop. So and, and it deserves to be because why would anybody want to see this movie? People, more people wanted to see Truth or Dare. And Super Troopers 2 than Bad Samaritan. Not by much. Only by 100,000 or so. But still. Even it, even though it's in more... Th- this was in more theaters than Tully. But Tully was able to gross m- twice as much. This is in more theaters than Overboard. And Overboard is the biggest premiere of the weekend. So that tells you about Bad Samaritan and, and how many people wanted to go see it. I don't feel too bad for the movie because it sucked. So, 
that that does it for the box office report this weekend. And now we look ahead to the future with the trailer talk segment. No bumper for this one. I don't think we need a bumper for this one. Let's just stick right into the trailers. First up, the big release this weekend, Life of the Party. Melissa McCarthy goes back to college. So let's take a look at that new trailer before the before the new release. Hello all. Oh hey, it's the dude. What's his name? Your divorce. You will all be civilized and you will please address all speech. Good to see there's more of um I mean, if I wanted to There's more of um Maya Rudolph in this cuz I love her. That is brought her. I can't believe you brought Christine. I can't believe you shacked up with a bitch. I just want to say for the record, I just needed an upgrade in my life. Matt Walsh, that's who it is. Son of a bitch. I'm sorry, you son of a bitch. You're the son of a bitch. You're the son of a bitch. This is a very visual thing. They're talking to the arbitrator instead of to each other. That's that's the joke. What am I going to do? I'm a 40-something-year-old woman that doesn't even have her degree. Oh, my God. I know what I'm going to do. Let me see you. I don't regret staying at home and being your mom, but I regret not getting my degree. That's why somebody's mom just enrolled in college. Beep, beep, beep. It's me. From New Line. I want the full experience. Oh, hell no. I don't know what Saturn, the mom perm or the mom boobs. These allow this one to suckle at these teeth for 28 months. I wear them. Around my way about this now. Proudly. This isn't the time. Get ready for the wildlife. There goes the neighborhood, huh? Uh Uh-oh. I cannot stay out of this unbelievable chocolate. It is weed bark, so maybe I would probably hold off from having any more. Just because, uh... What is it? Oh, good. Oh, good. Oh, good, good. I wasn't doing right, but I could have been doing better. Witness the mother. Of all comebacks. Mom, don't jump to conclusions. You don't know what's happening here. It looks like my mother is doing the walk of shame out of a frat house. Oh, okay, yes, technically that's what's happening. Let's go. You know what? I'm older. I'm wiser. This essentially a Google. Ask me anything. Turn off your Google. It can't be turned okay, off. Okay, I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. God, I did not know they were going to be here. What is on your lobe, Dan? It's an earring. Works for Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford blew up the Death Star in Free to Galaxy. What have you done, Dan? (laughs) I love my Rudolph so much. Um, Yeah, I don't don't know. This could go either way. Uh, We'll have to wait and see for this, but eh, who knows? I mean, I get get why you do this for Mother's Day. it's it's about motherhood. It's a it's a ties. It, it's a it, Melissa McCarthy appeals to a lot of older women. Uh, she's she has she has a kids a uh, you know she has that style of humor that they enjoy that a lot of them enjoy. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that turns out. You know, it's like this is something you could take your mom to for the month. Although it's a bit dirty depending on who your mom is. Your mom might be more into this or not. Your mom your mom's may vary. So life of the party. We'll see about that. Um, Next up, what I'm actually more excited for. I want to see how this turns out. Gabrielle Union is back in Breaking In. Let's check it out. I know this is not how you wanted to spend your weekend, but guess what? Me neither. She was I love her so much. Boyfriend. She's just like... He's not my boyfriend. And why did he make you a playlist? I love her expressions, too. Oh, my God. She's just like... Mom. She's got that smug look like... Oh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like she... Uh, I love her. Why are you selling it? That's what you do when someone passes away. 
Check it out. Fully automated security systems. Windows have retractable shields. This place is a fortress. I guess some people get paranoid in their old age. What were you trying to hide, Dad? I just want to say again how sorry I was to hear about your father. I just want to make it through the weekend and come home. Mom? I swear to God, if you're hiding... Yep, there we go. I love it. I love I love it when she suddenly goes badass. I want you to listen. You are a woman alone at the mercy of strangers. What do you want? We want something in the house. I will do anything to protect my kids. Do exactly what I say or you and your kids will not survive this night. Do you understand? Yo! For the producer of No Good Deed and Obsessed. Oh, I love it. She goes like commando on them. But we have her kids. Now, she's desperate. I almost, I almost, I don't know which would be better. If they reveal she used to be Special Forces, or if they, they, if this is just like full on full on like adrenaline like this is what I this is this is me winging it payback is a mother broke into the wrong house I want, I want Gabrielle Union to play a superhero. I see this, and I want Gabrielle Union to play a super. I don't know who. I don't know who you get her to play. Maybe a black cat from Spider Man. Maybe Silver Sable, one of those. Um, you know, maybe something in the vein of a, a maybe a Catwoman. Uh, since they haven't done a Catwoman for the DCEU, but. Give her something. This I've, this does well, and if this showcases her abilities as like an, an, an action in doing action work and stunts, I'm all for Gabrielle Union playing a superhero. Don't care what it is. Don't care where it is, where it's at. I'm in. I, w- I want to see it. Uh, but yeah, I'm hopeful this is this is this is good. But uh, but we'll have to wait and see. So that's what's coming up this weekend, and. Um, that about does it for this week, so it is time for the plugs. If you want to keep up to date on all of the new episodes of Popcorn Junkie, you can follow us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com, and that way you'll be able to see all the new episodes as they come out, and and be, and so be, fa- be sure to favorite that page, as well as check out all of the other fine programming. Like I mentioned, Artists Swear, uh, we've got all of the... Um, all of uh, Donna's Donna's work through Snarkcast, the Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, the Once More with Feeling, the Family Business, all of that, all of that is available to you. I'm working on getting uh, Tragic Missile back up and running, but um, you know I'll, I'll make that announcement uh, when 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 everything's all said and done. Um, I'm uh, you know there's a bunch of other machinations in the work. Uh, uh, Mike and I are working on uh, bringing back Amaji Day, but the, you know life caught up with us. So 
We'll, so we'll, things things kind of hit up a rough bit here at the beginning of the year, but we'll get back to we'll get back to normal. We should be get back to normal pretty soon. But you know, check out all of our other fine programming there at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to use fo- follow us on your various podcasting apps, uh, you should be able to see Popcorn Junkie by search for Popcorn Junkie. And if you see my orange mug chomping on popcorn, staring at the movies, and we're over the hundred episode mark, then you are listening to the most up-to-date feed. I know I had to fix Finagle with the Google Play feed, and it's still not giving you all the episodes there, but at least it should be giving you the most up-to-date episodes. So, if nothing else, there's that. But I, that's why I recommend using something... I use Overcast. If you use something a different podcatcher app, then you should be able to... Um, Get those of more, get the full catalog available to you. If nothing else, the archive is still available on SoundCloud.com for those of you who listen through uh, Google Play. But yeah, that's that's all available. That's all available to you. And be sure to uh, give it, you know, rate it and share it with people and let people know that you like this show. And you can also share. So you can also share us through social media and talk talk with us here on the podcast. That. Uh, the, fa- the social media home is facebook.com slash popcorn junkie. That's where all the big announcements are going to be. And that's where all the, that's all, where all the major information is, is, is released at new episodes. When I'm seeing a new release, Stardust uh, reviews, um, you know, any changes. That's where I'll announce if I re- ever return to Twitch, uh, but for the time, which is still on hiatus for the time being. So follow us on facebook.com slash popcorn junkie. If you want that feed, Plus some extra features like the Munch Along and the TV and the Trailer Talk, and as well as keeping in touch with me more directly. You can follow me on Twitter at Corn Junkie Pod, and that's where all that's going to go down. That's where all the Trailer Talk goes down. That's where all the Munch Along stuff goes down, and that's where you can keep in contact with me more regularly. That's where I'm more conversational on social media. You can follow me on Instagram for a lot of the stuff. Um, that's uh, that's on Instagram at Popcorn Junkie Podcast. I'm still. I'm still working on figuring out what else to do with it, um, but for the time being, at least I'm semi-regular with uh, posts on Instagram. And then, of course, you can follow me on Stardust at Popcorn Junkie. You can see my reactions to the new releases as well as some older releases. Like I, I, you can see my reaction to the first Overboard as well as the remake over on Stardust. Go, go, just download the app and follow Popcorn Junkie, and you and you can see my reaction and you can follow all, all, all sorts of other people. Double Toasted Crew is on there. The Schmoes No reviewers are on there. Jeremy Johns uh, will post. He hasn't been as active lately, but um, the other internet's John Bailey uh, with a with an I, uh, the epic voice guy. He does reactions on Stardust. He just did a whole thing for the May the Fourth weekend. So he did the whole thing for Star Wars weekend, where he reacted to all the other all of the Star Wars movies and the major TV shows. So you can check him out at Epic Voice Guy on Stardust. But check us out. Check out Stardust. It's a lot of fun. I think you can either follow other people's reactions, or you can just, or you can even leave some of your own. Did you lot? What did you think of this new episode of the show? What did you think of this movie? What did you think of this trailer? You can post your own reactions in thirty seconds over on Stardust. I wish I wish I could get more people to, to check us out. Then Stardust might actually affiliate with me again. I know they tried the last time, but I couldn't bring anybody in. But yeah. So, if nothing else, follow, follow me on Stardust at Popcorn Junkie. Like I said, Twitch is off for right now. I need to get re- some other stuff in order and before I get started on Twitch. And I'm actually, consider- I'm actually considering what to do with the archive that I built. 
If I want to do a Vimeo, maybe a YouTube channel. I don't know which is better or wor- what the pros and cons of either. I know I have to pay for Vimeo, so I don't think I want to start something like that yet. But we'll see. I'll keep once again that all that'll all be shared on um, on uh, on the Facebook page. I'm also you can also check me out on some recent releases through Cinematic for the People. Uh, one of our one of my colleagues here on Gumby Cat does a Rift Tracks Mystery Science Theaters three thousand style. Uh, you know, comedy series where they where we where they review and riff on bad not review they riff on bad movies, and um, you can see me you can hear me on 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 uh, their recent on the recent one we did for the steampunk symposium in in Cincinnati uh, where uh, we did Master of the World starring Vincent Price, and and I'll also be in a soda test challenge coming up, but we've re- we recorded a bunch of stuff. Um, I think they've welcomed me into the fold, so to speak. So uh, as I, the more active I am with them, the more I'll keep in touch with you guys about about it. So you can check me check me out there and check the, out their whole archive. It's it's if you if you're into MST3K and riff tracks and all of that stuff, they it, they've been doing it since the '90s on on local on base on basic cable in Cincinnati, and they've been doing it as a YouTube channel for a couple of years now. Go check them out, cinematic for the people. And if there's anything else you want to say, I uh, say to me any kind of corrections you want to give, you want me to make, I'm I'll, I'm absolutely um, open to corrections. If I've made a mistake, correct me on it, and and, and so that I can. You know, correct so that I can give people the right information. Always feel free to correct me if I've made a mistake. And uh, if there's any, you know, if you wanted to state your own opinions uh, on the movies that came out, if you wanted to give give me any kind of other kind of feedback on the podcast, anything you want to say at all, send that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail dot com. I'll reach out to you privately, and if you want, I'll even read them out on the air, on the mic. Actually, there's no airwaves. That about does it for this week. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and I did not even begin to celebrate May the 4th weekend. I did have tacos for my brother's Cinco de Mayo birthday, so there's that. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look at Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. Once again, the theme for the new theme for the Magnificent Sevens is brought to you by Ross Bugden Music. The track is The Wild West, and you can check out his YouTube channel. Links in the description. If you are listening to this podcast and you're... And you, um, something, I forget, it's been a week and I've already forgotten how I closed this thing out.